IASA's Additional Coverage, podcast number three. I'm your host, Tim Hicks, and joining me for today's additional coverage is Scott Glassford, who is a Senior Product Manager at FIS Global. Well, thanks, Tim, for having me on this podcast. Uh, Just a little bit about myself, my work with FIS. I'm the US 360 Library Product Manager. The US 360 Library is a regulatory library that allows people to do stat and gap actuarial valuations. And my job is really to make sure that clients are aware of the changes that we're making in the library and getting feedback from those clients and make sure that our library is progressing the way that they'd like. Okay, great. Well, today's topic is LDTI. But before we get started, I would like to recognize the support received from IASA's member companies and volunteers. IASA is the voice of the insurance industry. If your company is not already a member, I encourage you to consider all the benefits that come with membership in IASA. Find out more at IASA.org. Okay, Scott, let's jump in this topic with both feet. So you're doing this US 360 library. This involves LDTI. And well, for those of us who can barely spell LDTI, why don't you give us a 50,000 foot view of what LDTI is? Sure. I'll start off by saying that LDTI is basically reform of gap reporting for insurers. And there was guidance issued by the FASB, I think somewhere around 2018, about how gap reporting is going to change for insurers. And I'll try to cover that at a high level what the four major goals of LDTI are for insurers. Understanding the background here, I'm not talking to solely actuaries, so I'll try to keep it uh, at a high level, like you said. First thing that's really important about LDTI is the changes in the way DAC is being calculated and amortized. Those of you who aren't privy to the acronym DAC, it's, it refers to deferred acquisition costs. Deferred acquisition costs are just the costs associated with selling a policy. Typically, these are the costs that are taken on by the insurer, paid to an agent for the sale of the contract. Under LDTI, the changes to DAC are dramatically simplified. And it's going to be a big benefit for insurers to move to LDTI and do DAC calculations under LDTI. In the past, DAC modeling was convoluted and confusing. I struggled to understand it. This reg is a major win in the modeling of this particular item. The second prong of LDTI was the harmonization of regulations that determined how reserving was being carried out for annuity guarantees. So if you're if you think about annuity guarantees, you're talking about guaranteed withdrawal benefits or guaranteed death benefits. Under LDTI, they've introduced a concept called a market risk benefit. And this market risk benefit is going to be a reserve that will be the single reg for those annuity guarantees. A third thing that I'd like to mention about LDTI is that when insurers move to LDTI, reserves may become a little bit more volatile from period to period for a couple of reasons. One of the requirements under LDTI now is that all assumptions for your liability reserves must be reviewed on an annual basis. This is going to put strain on actuaries and data scientists to come up with those assumptions, and your reserves are going to be responding to those those assumptions. So as you compare reserves period over period, there will be changes within a given year due to these assumptions. Even if assumptions aren't being changed, the status quo must be rationalized. So this will also you know, increased documentation requirements on actuaries and accountants uh, under LDTI. But uh, volatility may be introduced here with, with LDTI. Gotcha. And finally, there's going to be more reporting required under LDTI. In the past, under, I'm calling it legacy gap 
which is still current gap, but will become legacy gap after we go live. Disclosure reports are now required. So uh, in the past, it, it used to be enough just to report a single number for an actuarial liability. Now, um, actuaries and accountants are going to have to describe and quantify changes in reserves period over period. This could be changes due to enforced changes. This could be changes due to assumptions, interest rates, yada, yada, yada. So just know that financial reporting is going to be a little bit more strenuous. There's going to be more model runs required, just kind of uh, pushing what we're all capable of in terms of financial reporting. So it sounds like a rather complicated simplification. <laughs> it's a complicated simplification. Uh, I think the DAC item is a simplification. The reporting is a complication. The reserving is a complication. And the market risk benefit is a simplification. So you've got you got some dynamics there. Some are some are actually going to be introducing some complexity. Some are going to be taking complexity away. But I think the way that they're allocating the complexity is actually a, a general win for the financial statements of insurers. So do you see this as a really big deal for insurers on a yeah. scale of one to a hundred? What's the, what's the challenge here? One to a hundred, I'd say it's probably a 95. Uh, mostly <laughs> because, you know, first and foremost, it impacts financial statements. And so I know very little but what I do know is that decisions and organizations get made off of financial statements, especially insurers, right? Mm-hmm. So you can look at you can look at different metrics, uh, you know, as an actuary, an accountant, whatever it may be. But ultimately, decision making does get driven by financial statements. So changes to financial statements is going to draw the attention of everybody. It's going to be you know accountants, actuaries, leaders of other business groups um, outside those two. Because it's going to impact everybody in the health of an organization, it's just got to be known what this thing is doing. And also, one thing I'd like to mention about change. Change is a pain for most people. Not often people are comfortable with change. We all fight our own battles, whatever the arena. Change is just going to be another hurdle that we have to overcome uh, in our day-to-day lives. And LDTI is that. It's change. Okay, so what do our insurance carrier listeners need to be doing to get prepared for that change? So, you know, you have to think about, you know, where the impacts of the change are going to land. So, you know, you're going to have impacts on your existing teams, even though LDTI might be a few years away for some insurers. And, you know, it's actually coming here at the end of this year for, for public insurers. It's going to stress your existing resources. In the lead up to LDTI, you're going to have to main two sets of books, one legacy gap. And then also your LDTI books, you know, maintaining two sets of books is uh, it's obviously going to be, it doubles the work for, for existing resources. And right. obviously that's going to be a challenge. And then also managers have to think about how to weather the storm. You know, do you reach out to consultancy to bring help in, to bridge the labor gap in the short term? Do you hire additional staff? Is the additional staff needed uh, given that you're just kind of have a swell of work for a number of years? But the drawback with consultancy is you may have a lot of the people, the people that you're having implement LDTI for you are no longer going to be working for you a few years from now. So how does that impact the training of your staff? But you can also view it as if you bring in consultants, they can be a third party that help you understand LDTI and the regulations and that sort of thing. So it's going to be a challenge on a, on a managerial front from a human capital perspective. Right. And then you have to evaluate the technology that you have running your processes. As I mentioned before, you've got 
new requirements that require more model runs, more robust reporting. And this is where you're going to hear the terms actuarial transformation or actuarial modernization, because the way that firms have been operating in the past may not be just may not be sustainable with the number of model runs that are needed for LDTI in the timeframe needed. So if you have a goal, for instance, of like a 30-day close, and you've got to run your UL model 15 times to quantify your uh, disclosure report, you're going to have to look at how you build models in a quick, effective way to get that quantification. So actuarial modernization, actuarial transformation, those are the buzzwords, and that's what's going to be driving technological change in the industry. Well, it sounds really labor-intensive, and with the labor market the way it is today, I would think it's going to be rather tough, even once you decide whether to hire versus bringing in consultants, resources are going to be at a premium. Would you agree with that? They are, and that's what we've seen in the industry. You know, rates are going up, consultancies are hiring a lot of folks, they're growing at a pretty high rate. I can think of a few that have never had higher headcounts. They're doing good work, but they're trying to bring as many people under their flag to meet this requirement. So, and then also, you know, uh, insurers trying to get resources, all of a sudden they're competing a lot more with consultancy <laughs> to, to bring those resources on. No, I believe it. It's a, it's a hot market for uh, actuaries, like I know, but I would assume it's the same for accounts. Yeah, I think so too. Do you see the possibility for implementation dates being pushed out for that very reason? Uh, I don't think so. I think we've had that conversation in the past. I say we, I know I've reached out personally to the the FASB and talking about, you know, uh, timelines. I think the window for that feedback might have already closed. There was an opportunity at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 to push the deadlines back, which happened actually. The original implementation date for LDTI was 2021. Well, that's coming on. That didn't happen. It's coming and gone. And at the, pen, at, the, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, the go-live date was 1-1-2022. So when, when everybody began working from home, there was a conversation uh, with the FASB also around delaying the uh, implementation date, and they moved it to 2023. Nothing has changed on that front, and it seems like we're full steam ahead for that. Okay, so that's a call to action, folks. Yeah. We're really going to have to get on it and get on it quickly. Yeah, definitely. I, I think a lot of the public firms, though, have already, I think you, you would hear more from them in this case if they weren't ready. I think feedback that I've heard in the industry around whether or not they're ready is around particular regulations. So I would say, uh, I think that a lot of the people who are full steam ahead for 2023 are ready. For the most part, uh, there are some regulatory hurdles that they're trying to get past right now. You know, this is a new regulation. So when you're going through the new reg and trying to determine how to put it in, into action and into practice, there may be some areas that aren't well-defined. And some of those firms are uncovering that right now. The situation that I'm thinking about right now is issues around market risk benefits for FIAs. I think the industry has finally moved past interpretation here. Um, some guidance was issued recently at the end of last year to help insurers um, you know, implement, and those insurers are taking action and, and getting it done. So, but they've, you know, while nothing is easy and, uh, and it's stressful to get it implemented, I think they have confidence that they're going to get it done by the end of this year. Okay, well, that's good news. All right. And everybody else has got how much breathing room to get ready? So they got about, what, two and a, uh, 
two and three quarters years, I guess. You got till 2025 for non-public issuers. So there's still time for those groups to actually take a look at their actuarial processes and whatnot and implement a technological change during that period of time. I would say for those that are that have to go live at 2023, you better have a plan. You you better be down the road at this point. But there's still time to to take a look at what needs to be done for those who are going live in 2025. Yeah, at least the non-public companies can learn from what's going on with the public companies and what their plans look like to try to work out their own implementations. And that's a fair point. And actually, that's kind of the plan for a lot of them, that they're sitting on the sidelines in some of those situations where regulation is yet to settle. Really, the, the larger public companies are going to be the ones that set precedent because they're going to be the ones that are working with their auditors on what a, an appropriate approach is. And once precedent gets set, we, a software vendor, can get that into our libraries and they accept it. And there's not as much uh, turmoil around what needs to be done. They're they're just going to accept precedent from other firms and implement that way. You bet. Well, hey, that's really good information. Thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge on this topic. It's a really hefty topic there, Scott. Yeah. Well, that's about all the time we have for today's podcast, but I'm sure our listeners are going to have some questions and want to follow up with you, Scott. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, sure. Um, just You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Scott Glassford. Scott with one T, Glassford with one S. Uh, try to keep it efficient in that way. Um, but also... <laughs> yeah, for an Scott, actuary. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's all I know. <laughs> uh, Scott.glassford at FIS Global is also my email. So, you know, please reach out if you have any questions around this topic. And thanks for having me, Tim. Happy to talk about it. Wonderful to have you, Scott. And if you should have any questions or comments about this show or any show suggestions, I always welcome those. You can reach out to me at tim.hicks at fisglobal.com. So until next time, I've been your host, Tim Hicks, with my special guest, Scott Glassford. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Uh, and hope you all enjoyed it. Tune in next time when I will sit down with Rent-A-CIO Carl Terzer to talk about negative returns in bonds and stocks. And if you enjoyed this episode, hey, I invite you to subscribe so that you never miss a new episode when it comes out. Let your friends and colleagues know about the show too. And hey, one more thing, if you don't mind, please rate and review the show. That helps other people find us. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.